are the people I truly serve. Salmons, this is Year Zero. Today, we are getting into part two with Coop about philosophy and ideology. We spent a lot of time on this episode talking about conceptualism or the conceptual reality versus reality and principle. We tie it in with a little bit of current events in order to give y'all an opportunity to kind of tie some of these ideas together and see solid evidence of what he's actually saying and I I think y'all will really enjoy this so before we get into that don't forget to go to the Libertarian Institute slash dot org forward slash donate and donate the fun drive is still going on get yourself a book for a donation and uh help us reach that fifty thousand dollar mark that we are looking at getting at so that's the libertarian institute.org forward slash donate also if you need graphic design ryanbunting.com Ryan Bunting designed the logo for my podcast. He's a good dude. He does this on the side for a little extra cash. So throw him some love. Give him some work. Get a hold of him at ryanbunting.com. And as always, if you like this podcast, go rate and review five stars. Tell everybody else to go fuck themselves. If you want to donate to me, that would be paypal.me forward slash Tommy Salmons or you can check me out on Cash App at Year Zero Pod on Cash App if y'all want different ways to donate just let me know and I'll set up a subscribe subscribe star or some shit like that um, and if you're not rating and reviewing me if you're not donating to me make sure that your favorite podcasters are getting five-star ratings and you're donating help us help us all keep rolling and moving forward we really appreciate all the assistance and all the um appreciation that we can get from you guys so that's what it's all about man enjoy all right coop what's going on man looks like a bit of the north reached down and touched you yeah a little bit. <laughs> so I guess uh, we'll pick up where we left off, but with a with a little caveat, there's a an open end there that anybody who has listened to this has probably been probably been questioning um, the whole religion aspect. So just a brief recap. Uh, I guess we're looking at concept as uh, being an overused tool. And uh, to the point where in uh, the Greek society, the introduction of, of the concept um, 
started to overwhelm the consideration of, of reality uh, due to, due to uh, relativity and uh, subjectiveness, um, and that due to the ability of the aristocracy to, to uh, ignore the plight of the common day people because they were just wealthy enough to not be concerned about the real things of life, like getting your food and, uh, and whatnot. Um, so the, the glaring question is, where does uh, religion enter into this? this? Religion is the grand concept of all concepts. Um, religion originally started as a concept that was an answer to conceptualization. So as we mentioned, uh, conceptual concepts were developed as a tool with which to envision solutions to problems. And part of the problem that religion initially addressed was the fact that we don't have the answers to everything. Um, to put it even simpler, we did not have the technology to answer a lot of questions in our uh, primitive state. In fact, we still don't have the technology to answer a lot of questions. And uh, the, answer to, the answer to that and uh, the answer to wasting time trying to figure out things that we couldn't figure out yet was to create a concept that would kind of put, put the need to, to further solve that problem that we can't solve to bed. Um, so to give an example, uh, um, lightning. Uh, they didn't know where lightning was. They understood what lightning was, but they understood that it was, it was an active phenomenon that was definitely a part of their reality and, and had an, a definite physical effect. However, they couldn't explain it and they didn't know how to explain it. They didn't understand electricity, the very real reality of electricity. They understood the effect of it. They didn't understand how it was generated, where it came from, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and attached to that unknowing was uh, a fear. Um, so there was the problem that had to be solved was how do we, how do we allay fears without actually having any knowledge of, uh, of the things that we're afraid of? So the concept was to create a concept that would allay those fears. So the concept itself in the, in the case of religion uh, became the solution, uh, albeit a temporary solution that was uh, begging further investigation with the tools to further investigate it, uh, science. Now, in doing so, um, in doing so, it was very quickly recognized that, that, uh, that fear itself create, created uh, uh, an impetus with which to allow conceptual domination in a societal structure. Um, so if people were experiencing fear, more specifically a fear of the unknown, a concept could be developed to allay that fear and people would readily adhere to it. So it's kind of, in a way, it's finding a, 
a glitch in the firewall of reality for, for human perception. And uh, it, as such, it is, it is extremely well-developed. In fact, I think there's a part of our brain that was, that was noted as being specifically evolved for the function of religious belief. Um, uh, there are several studies that uh, correlate individuals that have uh, specific well mental illnesses like uh, schizophrenia with having an, an extreme uh, developed area or part of that brain, um, just as, as a note. Um, so conjointly, as religion developed into a structured religion, uh, as opposed to just a simple animist type faith, um, individuals that were purveyors of that concept of the laying fear started to gain status and they became the priest case. And the priest case predominantly functioned on in, in their status role as being the individuals that both created and allayed fears with a concept, an untestable concept. And the fact that it's untestable is the means with which that was maintained and is maintained. We have, still have huge vestiges of, of religion in the rest of the world, uh, despite us being very Western-centric and, uh, and leaning more towards the rational side of, of thinking. Um, however, um, we have a different form of conceptualization along the same bents of religion uh, taking, taking grip in our society currently um, that is, is feeding off of that, that evolved function of the brain to adhere to a religion or a concept in the face of overwhelming reality. So in this sense, the more knowledge and information that we have um, via the internet, for example, the more, the more difficult it is for people to rationally grasp uh, a concurrent reality in unity with the rest of society. And so we start to get an ideology filling the place of that religion, taking advantage of that uh, glitch in the firewall that is a part of our brain that, that, that begs, begs us to believe, asks for our faith, requires it in order to, to create some kind of psychological stability with us in our lives. Um, so that the difference being, it's not lightning that we're afraid of anymore. It's, uh, it's the sheer preponderance of knowledge that we have access to without having evolved the ability to comprehend what all of it means as uh, an inclusive package. Well, and, and we, we, we're in a situation, as far as I can tell, that the, the religion has become the existence of the state, and, and maybe it's because of the comfort of, of, of our Western world 
that the the only beneficiary i wouldn't even say beneficiary the cause of that comfort is believed to be the existence of that state um yeah you could put it that way um the 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 comfort that that we feel as a society um is 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 the result of the domination of concept over reality right because because generally uh food is not there out there uh running around in the woods food is is sitting on a shelf in a grocery store um we don't have we don't have work that is directly related to how we accumulate or take care of our basic needs we have the interlocutor called currency um so we don't we don't work to uh to skin and and quarter that deer anymore. We work doing our various jobs to get money to purchase something that's already prepared for us. Um, so that that comfort and the leisure time that comes along with it uh, allows for a greater intrusion of concept to dominate over reality. And you know, for the most part, um, it's not entirely that system that is responsible, right? Because, like, let's face it, uh, if you've still got to work for a living, your concerns are, are still very much rooted in reality. Um, but if you don't, and you don't ever have to be concerned about that, then your concerns are rooted in, in conceptualization. Um, so if you have a condition where um, ideology is using that framework, with which to, to direct human behavior, right? Like religion. And you have a majority of people that are ascribing to the, the concept due to comfort, then you have people that are being, how do I put that? Manipulated on a very basic level using the same mechanism that religion used. Um, utilizing fear, utilizing providing an answer, uh, utilizing providing a concept that provides everybody with the answers that they don't have, no matter how obviously unattached from reality it is. Um, so you so, start to get, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just thinking what, what you're, what you're describing. It, it just, it, 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 placed in my head this is what you're seeing with what what they're calling cancel culture right so the, those that are for lack of a better word worshiping the concept the sophists are trying to get people to not pay attention to the truth because it challenges the concept therefore it's challenging their religion so to speak Yes, you, you directly deny, it's easy to deny a reality that you're not attached to and replace it with a concept if, if the means for your survival is not dependent upon reality. Um, so you'll have uh, uh, the sophisticated sense is uh, usually a tote attached to um, urban life which is uh, even another step removed from, from country life where 
you might know the farmer next door, right? So you actually see some of the food that you're gonna be eating growing in the field. Um, if you live in an urban setting, right? Your, your sophistication is a, status, is a status marker. And that sophistication is your willingness to embrace a concept that to you has more influence on your status in your social circles than the reality does that you are thrice removed from. So as yeah. far as it goes, when you have situations where people are detached from their reality in that way, and you create a set of complex concepts and form it into an ideology. And that ideology uh, whispers sweet nothings into your ear all the time, convinces you that you're smart, you're sophisticated, you're deserving of the status that you have. And, and the reality of the situation reminds you that you are relatively weak as you're not attached to how you accumulate your food. You're not attached to, um, to the tasks that you genuinely need in order to survive. Um, and, those, and you have to recognize those things are subconsciously, subconsciously existing in your mind and eroding your confidence, whether you'd like to admit it or not. Um, well, and this explains like a phenomenon that we've seen here in Texas with, with the outage of power, the, the, the food not being on the shelves, right? Yeah. There, there is a specific type of person that you can identify that is going to throw the wildest hissy fit and who are going to attack, you know, like they will attack the people there to get their power turned back on. They will yell at the manager of the grocery store about why they don't have any nice, big, thick, juicy steaks, right? Whereas yeah. people that are grounded in reality are just like, okay, this is what I got. This is what I'll do. This is what we can make happen. And this is what we're going to make work. And the people that are even more grounded in reality say, hell, I, I know a guy who's uh, raising that beef. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll trade him some carpentry work in the in the spring when he needs some some uh, barns fixed, and uh, I'll get a couple of good cuts. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, but that um, that has been that's been something that I've been monitoring here the last uh, last few days. Um, are the stories that are coming out about the the reaction? that people are having to their electricity being out, you yeah. know, um, like just take my parents, for instance, their, their electricity was out for 24 hours. And during that period, like within an hour of their electricity going out, their generator went out. Well, yeah. my dad and mom didn't sit around and freeze to death or go lock themselves in a garage and start their car and die of carbon monoxide. Right. What, it, what happened there? They, they, they made a fire in the fireplace. My mom sat in front of it. My dad charged up the phones. Then he, then he took his phone, went into the garage where the generator is, 
flipped on the flashlight, figured out what the damn problem was, and fixed the problem, and okay, we got to call a service tech out later, but I can keep the damn thing running until everything's okay, and they made it through it just fine. Yep, and, and even that, uh, with the power out, um, the mostly conceptualized sophisticates were detached from their uh, conceptual confidence group. Um, and, and this is, this is something that has to, has to, has to really sink in is that individually, uh, concepts adhered to by people who are not valid, fail the litmus test of reality. But if you are detached from a group of people telling you that this concept is correct, this concept is correct, and then you are forced to deal with reality and it does not reflect your con concept support group, then it creates a, a, a psychological crisis, right? So you have people acting extremely irrationally, um, not necessarily because of the, the true circumstance, but because they are detached from, detached from their, um, cognitive support group mm. uh, they're forced to face a reality forced to face the weakness of of concept as uh as a standalone thing you can depend on over over a, a reality that is immutable um so that uh conceptual dependence is is ultimately the 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 end game of every single ideology mm -hmm. right so now, we can bring it back around to quick um, question quick question before yep. we bring it um would you say that the concept that the belief in the conceptual reality breeds collectivism or is it collectivism that breeds the conceptual reality it, it collectivism is uh, one of the glitches in the firewall that is taken advantage of. So we have that part in our brain which evolved to 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 allow for belief, right? Mm -hmm. Simply because we cannot know everything, we have to have faith in something, right? Um, that is a, a glitch in the firewall, and the and the other glitch is the need for us to be part of a tribe right or a group right so when you have those two weaknesses that are taken advantage of by uh, uh, an ideology that proposes a concept and then furthermore that ideology seeks to gain dominance over reality that's when you have the issue so it's uh it's not really a chicken before the egg it's uh it's more of a how is that egg? How is that egg being fried? Yeah, it's how how, how it's being manipulated. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's that it goes back to the the tribal mind, and and then but how does how does a this is kind of off the beaten path, but this is just I'm curious. How does the the tribal mindset, you know, of the extended family or the multi generational you know, 
families that have always cooperated together. How does that become the mindset of 300 million people must be the same? You know, like, how does that, how does that evolve to that? Well, um, along with, along with being detached from reality, right? Mm-hmm. You also be, you all, it, you also have to have a condition where a person is detached from the need to maintain relationships. Right. Okay. So whereas family units used to be integral for individual survival, it's not so much anymore. You're no longer hunting with your uncles and your brother and your father to get food. Right. Mm -hmm. So therefore the bonds between you and your family don't have to be as strong. In fact, they, they are not developed to be as strong as they were in that initial tribal instance. Right. So quite often you can very, in society, you can very easily detach from the bonds of your family mm-hmm. or your community or whatever, and still have the fulfillment of having a tribe. They're just a tribe that is determined by uh, different commonalities that are not based on necessity. Right. So they become a family of choice and family of choice that does not have that uh, survival requirement behind it is, is how conceptualization and ideology start to form uh, families um, based around, based around their concepts and ideas. Mm -hmm. So you, you and I think alike, on this, um, therefore, we are bonding over this concept, and whether or not it reflects the reality of the situation, or or affects either of our survival, is irrelevant. Um, and as such, you can amass uh, uh, a larger amount of people um, to to adhere to a concept or an ideology than you ever could through a tribe or or a society or and we're starting to see quite possibly even a nation. Um, so as far as, as far as that goes, if you, uh, if you have a concept that is flattering to everyone in the sense of uh, you're special, um, the reason that things are happening in your life is not associated with you because you've done everything perfectly, and uh, we're here to support you and convince you that that truth um, and having that, having that, that belief and that concept uh, doesn't really in- inhibit your survivability, then your ego is going to gravitate towards that message. Um, it's, it's the same function as a cult, ultimately. Um, which takes advantage of all the glitches in the firewall that you could possibly imagine. It's, it's a, a process that's been developed for a long time in human society. Um, so if you get ideology uh, appears at the same time as uh, the, the challenge to uh, the Greek society in that um, 
well, we have to go back and look at the structure of Greek politics, I guess, first. Um, as it was formed, there were the politics of Greece uh, around the time of the development of sophistry and, and uh, platonic virtues um, was that you had different philosophical gangs, so to speak, and they would support actions based upon the principles of their philosophy. And it would be on an issue by issue basis. So over one issue, um, you know, should we, should we uh, allow Thessaloniki to um, fish in, in Epirian waters, you know, as a group of, of, of states. Um, there would be the principle, principled argument that uh, no, uh, because uh, the Epirians need the fish out of those waters and it's unfair to take from them what they may need to survive. And then there's the principle of, well, if we are a group of, of amalgamated states, if one is suffering, then, then what's the point of us even having an amalgamation? So you'd have those two principles as an issue go towards the politic for a vote. Now you'd have these different philo philosophies going on those different principles and your allies, your political allies would shift based upon the principled stance of the issue taken on the issue. So somebody who you're against as a philosophical group, um, based upon a principled stance on one issue you'd be allied with or against on another one that is completely separate. Um, which meant that, uh, that decisions that were made were democratically based upon the strength of principle in the argument or in the issue. When you started to get uh, the sophist influence you had the relativistic argument that, that diluted the principled mechanism of decision-making and utilized rhetoric to generate a false majority of thinking based upon uh, uh, basically an, an emotive response. So, how can we get people to react and vote emotionally instead of on a principled basis? And with that, with that impetus towards uh, emotive-based politics, you started to get the development of teams who, regardless of principle or point, would be on the same team voting on an issue simply because they were on the same team. And that's where you get the development of what, what is called party politics, where you, you cannot vote, you cannot empower a party in the United States or Canada based upon the principles of a, a single issue or many issues. You either vote for this and along with it comes a whole bunch of other things that you might disagree with or not. So there is no principled voting system in, in current democracy, it is all team voting system. 
Well, and and by by going the the route of teams, it becomes a popularity contest and not a contest of ideas. Yes. Well, it becomes a who can we convince to be on our team as opposed to how can we best exhibit the principles that are that are are in, imperative to making the right decisions. Um, it's uh, it's basically the beginning of ideological rule over principled rule, um, and that that is the issue with with democracy as it stands. Democracy was intended to be a system wherein the principle would gain dominance through the democratic actions and votes of, of the participants, not, not uh, who can develop a bigger team. Yeah. And see, this is, this is the, the reason that I found libertarianism and fled conservatism because all I kept seeing was the selling out of principles in order to, pacify a team or pick the lesser of two evils right and i was like well no there we have principles for a reason there are principles there for a reason and you root yourself in your principles and you don't give an inch and by giving an inch then you're selling the whole farm yes and uh those are uh quickly shuffled off to the side when it's more important to be on the winning team than anything else. Right. Um, and it, it should have been noted uh, more rigorously uh, throughout observing Roman history that uh, that, that was going to be the case and that it would ultimately, as it did the Romans, uh, start to generate a collapse of societies working on that ideological uh, democracy as opposed to a principled democracy. But uh, it didn't. <laughs> and we're starting to see the fruits of that now in that the conceptual bent uh, is, is, has gained so much dominance in the social sphere um, for, for many, many reasons, many, many reasons. You'd be foolish to try and uh, pin it all on one thing. Um, well, as we were talking earlier, I mean, there is going to be a reality of all the money that's been printed over the last year. Like, the, yes. there, there's, there's no getting around it. One of these days, and... I mean, you said May and I'm like, oh, I don't know if it'll quite be that soon, but one of these days you are going to reap the, the fruits of your labor. You know what I'm saying? So to speak. Yeah. And, yeah. Cause, um, reality, um, it can be put off, but it, uh, it, it cannot be put off forever. Right. There's, yeah, there's always a time where you've got to pay the piper. So, if we're going to pay for the fighter for the pay the piper for the concepts that we've been adhering to and for allowing the the conceptual sophistication of our society to take us so far from reality 
and the evolutionary basis of our species um, to a point where we don't even understand ourselves, um, then the amount that we pay the piper is going to be far greater than anybody's prepared to pay. Um, and that's, uh, that's not, uh, not to say that everybody is going to suffer overly. The unfortunate reality is that the people that are illest prepared for such a thing are the people that are going to bring this about. And the upheaval of being separated from the concept that you struggled for as it relates to reality um, is going to create a, a psychological backlash that's going to be societally wide. Um, I don't know how to describe it other than that same, that same thing we were talking about, the uh, angst of being separated from your cognitive support group because your power's out and you don't have access to the narrative anymore and you have to face reality. And that happening in Texas with a lady screaming at a, a store manager because there isn't any stake. Uh, imagine that on a, a, a nationwide scale. Well, I mean, you can see a situation to where, you know, places like New York City begin to cannibalize themselves. Yes. You yeah. Know? That's, that's, I think I think the way I would describe it, because I, I think I understand what you're getting at, and maybe maybe this isn't exact, so maybe you could correct me. But I think the way I would describe it is if you look at, you know, David Axelrod's quote, never let a crisis go to waste, Right. So the same people that are are projecting the shadows onto the wall of the cave are going to be the ones that benefit when the concept actual actually crumbles. Well, here's the here's the kicker is uh, they are only going to benefit um, if they can maintain control. But the fact of the matter is they're riding a tiger. And uh, typically the only thing that uh, brings the tiger into, into the control is not, uh, not a, a bureaucratic structure, right? So they might be pushing a, a, a crisis to the greatest extent to which they can take advantage of it. But there comes a point where where they, they lose control of that advantage. And that is just human nature. Um, and that's, that's been shown throughout history too. When you get a, an extreme uncaring bureaucracy that has been pushing concepts that are so far detached from reality, when reality snaps back, um, then what happens is, uh, uh, the fear that we've discussed as being something that the concepts were allaying, the fear creates an opening for a strong man, so to speak. Mm -hmm. A strong man that is rooted, very rooted in reality. 
So the concept is no longer good enough to allay the fears. We need something very real to replace the concept. And the strong man steps into that place of something very real, right? And if you look at uh, if you look at the collapse of the Soviet Union, right, where you had uh, that okay, well, we had an overarching bureaucracy um, that was based on concepts that were separated from reality, like communism, mm-hmm. right? And then you had the collapse of that concept and a bureaucracy that was no longer able to control. Then you had Vladimir Putin step in as a strong man, very based in reality. And he took over the job of allaying fears from the failed concept. So... So yeah do you is there is there the risk of and i think okay so i think this is what the left was afraid of with trump so i'm going to try to i'm going to try to ask this as fairly as possible is there is there a risk of a strong man stepping in rooted in reality that is distracting through an alternate concept. Has that ever happened? Do we have any history of that? Um, I think that uh, ultimately what has to happen before that strong man can step in is that things have to go naturally beyond the control of, of the concept, right? And when, that's what I mean when I say when nature and reality snaps back, there there isn't any any there isn't any control over that, right? Mm-hmm. There isn't any control over the effect. Um, it's it's like extending that elastic band out to mm-hmm. its fullest. You know it's going to snap, but you don't know exactly when, right? Right. Exactly when is dependent upon that rubber band and how much force you're pushing out, but you still don't know exactly when. Right. Um, that that part is beyond your control. Um, it can certainly be it can certainly be recognized and things set in motion to create that that environmental condition where there isn't any control. But to a certain extent, I don't think that it's intended because I do think that the people that are conceptualizing things and bringing society to heal to the concept as opposed to the reality, have absolute faith that their concept is the inheritor of reality. And therefore they don't recognize the potential that, that their concept is, is failing or is going to fail. So they, they're such true believers in the, in the ideology that yeah. any any concept that benefits the ideology is is sure they, at least in their mind it, they are sure is going to be beneficial to all of society or going to at least be beneficial to themselves. Absolutely, okay. and uh, and here's the thing with ideology that kind of separates it from 
from a principled way of thinking, right? Is an ideology comes at you under the guise of principles. And uh, then what it does is it slowly gives you allowances or circumstances in which it's okay to circumvent those principles. Um, so if, if you looked at, uh, if you looked at uh, the Bible, for example, right? Um, if you have a reformed faith with, with Jesus Christ taking the helm, he says, you know, thou shalt not kill. Even, even God, thou shalt not kill. So let's just stick with that. Before, before the reformation of Christianity, you have a God saying, thou shalt not kill. And then later on, that same God says, uh, thou shalt not kill, but here are the exceptions. The Philistines, you can kill them. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what ideology does. Ideology goes, yes, we're nice and fluffy and principled, except for you know, the people that don't believe the ideology. You can kill them. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, that's okay. you can look at the story of Samson. And, you know, how he was, he was praised for tearing down the cathedral or the, whatever it was onto the, the heads of the Philistines. Yes. yes. You know. But you can see, you can see it's modern parallels right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Punch uh, a Nazi very, type deal. Yeah. Very easy. Very easily. You know, um, and that's the thing. I, I'm not a. I don't ascribe to, I don't ascribe to complete nonviolence, right? Um, there is a reason that violence is the ultimate authority, and anybody who tells you any differently is lying to you, right? Uh, ultimately, violence is the ability to remove, the ability for one to make a living or sustain oneself, whatever means that is, right? Or to, or to stop or inhibit an individual from, from conducting their life, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, is, that is the prime authority which governs every single human behavior in society on the planet. So to hypocritically suggest or allude to the fact that that's not the case is just a lie. And it's part of the the big lie that uh, that any state would love to uh, love to convince its people of, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in effect, have, right? But they will they they practice absolutely no restraint in in recognizing that authority and practicing. Right. Well, um, and and it's well, it's interesting too because when you run through the, the ideas and especially when you look at, you know, the, the commandment thou shall not kill, that is very nationalistic in, in a sense because of the way that you're taught or that the people of your nation, the people like where I am in America or Texas, they are a, 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 basically a different breed of people that if there were a foreign invader we would all be expected to pick up arms and fight against that foreign invader. But we are never expected to pick up arms and fight against our neighbors. Right. Unless, right? And there's always an unless. 
Yeah. Um, and, and that is, uh, that is very rooted in a reality, right? Uh, the concept is uh, for, to, to juxtapose that the concept is that, uh, uh, we are all one, which is, uh, uh, basically a reduction, reductionist view that, that, uh, the operating principles in which people conduct their lives are the same simply because of our species and that culture has no effect on humanity, right? When we can see the differences in culture very readily, very easily, and how the individuals in those culture conduct themselves in their lives and see differences. So the concept um, of, of difference has been, how do I say this? It's been convoluted and yet supported at the same time, which does not match reality in a very obvious way. Yeah, um, it, it, well, yeah, and, there are there are people in other countries who culturally do wish ill will upon the denizens of your nation, of my nation, and there are people within our countries, respectively, that wish ill will on the denizens of another nation, and that's simply because of cultural differences, mm-hmm. or political differences, or even the basis with which an individual. Um, is raised up in that culture. Um, and that's, that's just the way it is. Um, you can't turn a blind eye to that or else it's extremely, extremely naive and dangerous. Right. And, well, and to turn a blind eye to that and actually, and actually follow through with that is one of the effects of an ideology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it, it was, it seems to me that we are one, the idea we are one in the, in the times that religion was birthed was very useful. It was almost necessary for survival, right? But in, yes. in, 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 in to, to expand the tribe, okay, to expand it from the extended family or just a couple, two, three, four families, whatever, into the monoliths that exist today that are considered nation states is very unnatural. And that it is a, a very natural thing to try to, to, to feel that commonality with um with a small group of tribesmen but when you extend it beyond these groups you begin to strain it like you said like a rubber band stretching and you never know when it's going to pop back and exactly and so it breeds how many different types of cultures i've been one to say that it's obvious that the culture of beaumont texas 20 miles down the road from where I live is not the same culture of New York city. I mean, it's just an obvious thing, you know, yes, North, North Dakota is not Florida, 
you know? yeah. <laughs> so. And, uh, and, and along that same vein, the, the obvious similarities that we have are special similarities, right? Um, every mother loves their child. It's a, it's a natural thing, right? But not every mother is going to direct their child to make the same choices. Those are going to be an effect of enculturation, right? So the similarities uh, are the same as uh, the similarities between, um, what can I say? They're, they're more of an effect of, of region than anything else in that, in that Canadian culture and American culture um, are very similar in that sense that we have a lot of points in which we can, we, we can meet eye to eye on. But in general, our view of guns is very different than the American view of guns. Um, and I don't mean me specifically, yeah. but our, our, our culture has a different view of guns and their purpose and, and their use, right? Um, and that's a, that's a big cultural divide, but it's not something that is, is a cause for uh, ideological alarm, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas if you look at uh, our religious differences between every single country that practices a major religion, those, those are divides in practice of principle based upon religious enculturation. And those are far more difficult to overcome or, or, or meet, meet, meet in the middle with. Um, and to ignore them is only going to increase the tension on that rubber band. And you can see the tension in, in something that's not even remotely associated with that, even within the political divide in the United States. You have uh, an immense number of points of commonality in the United States, but there are ideological differences that are creating that tension in the rubber band. Now, if you take that and expend it out into differences of, of religion and, and cultural differences and, and the way one looks at their place in society, the, the difference between the Chinese culture um, under the Communist Party and American culture in Texas, for example, mm-hmm. um, to simply ignore the differences is to weaken both the response right and the potential good relationship that can be had mm-hmm. right because it's not looking at the reality of the situation it's looking at the concept of uh, of it having dominance right yeah so you have a uh a conceptual domination in a world where people aren't attached to, to the realities of their life and the ability to corral all individuals under the blanket of a, of a concept, or I should say enough individuals under the blanket of a society of a concept um, hits a threshold where it breaks a society. Um, As I said before, like, the, the people that are living under the concept are, are 
very mindful of, fa- of the fact that they depend upon the people that are living in the reality that is outside of their concept. Um, and, and it definitely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, <laughs> it creates a resentment. Mm. Uh, yeah well it's like i I think i i don't know if i said it on the last podcast but i said it before um they hate you because they can't live with you and they can't survive without you yes yeah um and not only that when the message is slipping that that uh there's the recognition of reality and those that are that are still very much attached to reality that they will stand regardless of of uh the concept right then you mm-hmm. start hitting that that point of uh of societal divergence um where you get uh the collapse of the collapse of a society right and well and we've seen this recently i mean look at what happened in zimbabwe um you know, those, those, the farmers, basically those rooted in reality were either murdered or run out of the country. And the entire, the entire society of Zimbabwe collapsed. People began to starve. Now they're begging the farmers to come back. Yeah. And the same thing is happening in South Africa right now as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I I'm, dare ve- say- I'm very familiar with that. My wife makes if sure. You look- if you look at the UK, the United Kingdom, uh, the reality of the country is not London, but London very much is a completely different culture than the rest of the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can see, I like using it because it's a relatively small regional group that we would consider a small area, right? Mm-hmm. Comparatively. But they have a divide that is still if not more more prevalently noticeable than the division in the united states believe it or not right Um, i mean look at brexit yeah yeah brexit really brought that out um and in fact the uh the last vote where the conservative party in britain basically mocked floor with every other party uh despite the wishes of london um kind of showed that showed that too mm-hmm. um now i don't know uh i don't know where it's where it's going to take us I, I think that ultimately there there is a a failure in in leadership um for people that are proponents of reality in stepping up and saying okay you know, enough's enough here. Right. Um, and, and that and that has a lot to do with, like I say, the whole concept of, of the politics going into team instead of principle. Mm. Right. You you don't have leaders that are capable of getting the power without being part of a team. And no team will get into power challenging the concept. Yeah. And see, that's you had you had mentioned to me the other day, actually, um, that that it's up to us to just step back and watch them 
watch them blow blow themselves up basically watch them to just destroy themselves right yeah yeah that that term is uh oh well to not to assist that implosion so to speak is is called accelerationism um, I'm not a big proponent of accelerationism because that means having an active part in a, in a destructive force, um, which goes against my principle. Right. However, what also goes, what also rubs me the wrong way is, is, and it's part of my stoic philosophy is, uh, is recognizing at, at what point do you not have power in something and, and it's better to direct your effort towards something in which you do have an effect. Right. Um, so, yeah, if, if we shrink back and go, okay, you know what? This is what's happening in the, uh, in the larger span of the world. Um, whereas before I could feel like I have a voice, uh, it's quite obvious that I don't. I can see what's going to happen in the larger sense, but that doesn't stop me from affecting uh, things within my, within my sphere of control or my sphere of power, so to speak. Right. Um, and that I have to bolster that with, within my sphere of effect so that it can weather whatever global storms are about to happen. Yeah. Well, I was just um, going I, to, I was, I was going to actually bring up an alternative, which a lot of people, um, I, I know a lot of people that have this view and I'm kind of, I, part of me has this view and then part of me is like, oh, I'm just going to sit back and watch it like whatever. But some people feel like it's, it's important that those of us rooted in a solid philosophy that have conducted ourselves in a principled manner that continue to get kicked and beaten and just spat on every every which way that it is up to us to create our own concepts to combat those concepts that run the that rule our lives today right well that's interesting so that's gonna that's gonna basically address why i why i'm not on social media <laughs> it's, going to, it's going to address why I only speak these things with very uh, speak of these things with very close friends, and that this is the first time I've I've made any effort to to put it in what I have to say in the public sphere, mm-hmm. is that when you create the concept and you set it free, you're no longer responsible for where it goes. Um, so even in generating concepts, right? Mm-hmm you could potentially be planting a demon seed. And I'm sure that there are a lot of ideologies who have seeds in philosophy and seeds in philosophies that were never intended to be subverted into ideal ideologies. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that instead of creating our own concepts um, to combat it, we let reality do the combat and what we do is conduct ourselves in accordance with that reality and maintain our strength in doing so so um, yeah everybody so else is losing their shit um will be confident 
Well, you'll, you'll be confident and then you'll, you will eventually become a leader because of the confidence that you are portraying. Yes. More importantly, a, a leader that did not seek leadership. Right. Yeah. You're, um, yeah. Yeah. People chose to follow you as opposed to you. Well, e- even better would be people chose to follow my actions with their own actions as opposed to follow me. Right. Well, and well, yeah, because leaders, as far as, I mean, my dad always told me this, you lead by example. Yeah. Yeah. You lead by example. And, and you know, it's, (laughs) I always say it's not, uh, it's not power that corrupts. Ultimately it's corrupt people that seek power and tend to get it. Mm. You know, um, nobody with a degree of humility ever seeks to have a greater effect on the world than than that which is most important to their own sphere of influence right yeah when when you when you set out and say oh i can make this better for somebody that i don't know then then you've got a problem already (laughs) yeah yeah i can see that yes that's that is that is slightly narcissistic <laughs> it is it is it is and you know i hate to say this because i have a lot of friends that, that that write um writing is is one of the most narcissistic things you can do because you have to have the confidence to believe people want to hear what you have to say podcasting too yes and there's there's absolutely <laughs> nothing wrong with having that little bit of narcissism yeah. Yeah. if if you've thought through what you have to say right yeah right um, yeah no because- I, i've been writing since i was 13 and i've always said that i've always said there's like there's a certain amount of narcissism to actually putting my thoughts down on paper because then i yeah. actually have to believe that it's worth reading yep yeah. yeah but uh if you're willing to take responsibility for your output then all the power to you well, you, you take responsibility and then, and then, for your output and then make sure you're willing to take constructive criticism. And uh, also, you know, it don't get upset if no one else, no one cares. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, expect that nobody does. Right. There's a hell of a lot of freedom in that. It's going to yeah. give you uh, more genuine output than, than thinking that the world's watching. Right. Absolutely absolutely but okay so so when when you when you can when these concepts have been constructed right and they've taken root as we see in modern times and and this has happened historically i mean you keep going back to greece and so i know that you know that's a very close subject to your heart you you talk rome i mean we see it like you said uh soviet union Mao's China. I mean, we've seen it time and time again, and yet it continues to come up. And so those of us who are not ideological, who are more or rooted in principle and philosophy, we're, we're sitting here watching this and we see the, the potential devastation that it can have on, on, on people that we care about and that maybe you know the 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 potential devastation it could have on future generations of our our families like it's very hard 
to sit back and just watch it. It is. It's uh, extremely hard. Um, and, and there's no solace in it. There's no, there's no solace in, in thinking everything is going to work out. Right. Um, ultimately, everything does pan out. Um, but for things to pan out, it usually has a, a devastating effect first. You know? Yeah, um, it before, gets really the forest, the forest did grow back after Chernobyl. You know? <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but like I said, that's hard to take solace in. Um, the, I, I can't really, I can't really give any optimistic output, um, other than to say, um, geez, I, I actually, I can't even, I can't really give any optimistic output on that. Um, there are going to be a lot of people that, that still have a level head. Mm. right there are still more people attached to reality um that that aren't uh fanatically invested in the concept that it, it might just be uh it just might be a, a fart in a whirlpool you know um they just rejected it right and uh cities like new york and los angeles tank because they are too detached from reality and uh, the hinterlands and the flyover states go fine. And, and uh, people in Alberta and Manitoba just carry on. Um, but again, that's dependent upon, dependent upon what the conceptualizers that have the financial power decide to do to these people that are still attached to reality. Right. Well, so, so and, sure, it's great. You can carry on. You could probably get along fine without uh, without reading the New York Times piece in uh, if you live in Manitoba or Texas or something. But if that uh, bank who's headquartered in New York or or Toronto decides to foreclose on your farm, then you're not going to be so fine. Right. And one of the things I've I've often said. And I've never, I never tied it in as in depth as you have to conceptualization and ideology and philosophy. But one of the things I've often said is it's up to those communities rooted in reality to secede and to break apart. Y yeah, to minimize the minimize the potential negative effect. Right. Yes. Yet these people, those conceptualizers, those that have the time, that have the money, have no doubt already began to consider, okay, if these people want to break apart, if they want to leave our sphere of influence how can we continue our sphere of influence without them knowing? So they, oh, they, they've problem solved this. This, this is not, you know, a, an absolute 100% guarantee way to solve this problem. Absolutely. Uh, there's a reason that there are like uh, uh, think tanks in Stanford, there are think tanks uh, in, 
the Fraser Institute in uh, the UK. It's the Tavistock Institute. All of these are, are uh, uh, basically think tanks to determine potentials for human behaviors in, in fluid environments um, that, that go to extreme situations. So if A happens, then, then, then B is logically going to happen and our response should be C based upon running through this scenario 5,000 times. Right. Um, and, and, and that is the case. Um, however, we have to go back to that, that good old reality of authority and what authority is rooted in. It's fine if a bank forecloses on your farm and they're headquartered in some big city, right? Mm-hmm. But, but simply putting in a paper that you've, you've been foreclosed on is not the same as actually seizing the actual property, right? Mm-hmm. Because the authority to seize the property is rooted in the capability of meting out violence in order to carry out the process. Right? Yeah. So well, let's just take a look at uh, what, what the democratic government is, is putting on the table right now regarding gun control. If you want to take a look at, look at uh, preparation for that. Okay. Um, again, they're they're beating that tired dead horse <laughs> of uh, of prohibition, and uh, have a belief that it's actually going to go somewhere, and probably because they have a reason to believe that it's going to go somewhere, and it definitely will serve a purpose in consideration of the financial crisis that like anybody who's realistic and has half a brain in their head can see coming down the pipes. Right. Right. It's to allow the authoritative seizure of land, not just the shuffling of a paperwork in some office in a city and stamping it and filing it away going, well, that's, that's done. Um, and, and that's what, uh, that's what uh, people are not, are not really prepared for or gearing up for. They look at the economic economic collapse that's coming, and they might even agree that it's going to happen. But with regards to the ramifications, it hasn't sunk in yet. And kind of that's what the uh, that's what the establishments are betting on. Um, a shock, uh, the shock, the shock of reality. Right. And this is where communities banding together uh, become more important. Because um, yeah. regardless of what arm of authority is used, that arm of authority is still of the people. Mm-hmm. And of the people against the people doesn't work so, so well as of, as of the people against a person. Right. Right. Yet they and, uh, they continue to try to sell that seventy four million people are domestic terrorists. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Very sad. Very sad. Yeah. So the the way the I don't I don't know if 
I believe that this is the reality of what they're doing, right? So, and what I mean is part of me believes that a lot of what we're seeing in front of us is just a carefully constructed narrative that is to distract us away from what is really happening. And that right. I don't think they believe that gun control will work. Like there's, Oh, there's, it's not, it's not whether or not it works. Right. It's whether or not there's a justification. Right. Like uh, historically it's called a crisis belly okay. or a, a reason to go to war. So nations would establish a casus belli, uh, such as a diplomatic insult or uh, a trade conflict or, or something, you know, relatively insignificant mm -hmm. as a rationale for going to war so that they could levy, levy troops amongst, amongst their people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't necessarily have to be hinged on, hinged on anything impactful or meaningful. But you still had to have a, a casus belli to uh, to go to war, or else you wouldn't have the support of your people. Right. So if if gun control is is brought in and instituted, um, then there is a reason to there is a reason to uh, stomp all over the constitution that uh, that the media that uh, a large portion of the country will think is just fine and is a reasonable justification for transgressing on the, on the constitution. And that's all that's required. It's not whether or not it's effective. It's whether or not it's useful as a Cassis Valley. Mm. Cause I know, okay. So one of my, one of my favorite quotes that I, I heard a guy say one time was that if the only time you are willing to pick up arms against the government is if they threaten to take your guns, then they're not, then they don't have to take your guns. Yes. Yes. It, it means that they've already assumed the structure. Right. Right. So basically the gun control is the idea that so many people adhere to the authority even though they have the means to fight that authority. Yes. Uh, I, I can, I can say relatively confidently that uh, the uh, simple fact that uh, uh, Mr. Biden is sitting in the white house, that was the, uh, that was the kill shot already. That, that was the test to determine the fortitude of, of Americans regarding, regarding, how how many are real with regards to uh, being stalwart in their their rights? Yeah. Well, um, I uh, a buddy of mine has a podcast, and he was talking to a guy the other day on his podcast, and uh, he he was talking to a veteran, and he asked the uh, veteran, he said, uh, "If you saw a military." in fencing surrounding a capital in any other country that you were shipped into, what would you think? And he said, I would think it was an Ill illegitimate government, you know, yeah. and that's yeah. exactly the case. 
that that is the case. It's a, it's a, it it looks like a junta. Yes. Yes. Um, and and again, uh, I think this is just a part of the establishment of the Casas Belly, right? Yeah. If 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 we can justify the demonization, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then justify disarming these demons, then we have enough of a support of the population to to overwhelm overwhelm the constitution and its and its uh, and its part in the country. Yeah. And, and the evidence that that you're going to get a weak response to all of those moves after the fact was was how the various institutions handled the election. Uh, Clarence Thomas, I think, just came out saying it was a huge mistake for the Supreme Court not to take up the case. Yeah. Um, and I think I think uh, I think Clarence is, has kind of seen exactly what that means. Um, but of course, he's going to be far more. How shall I say diplomatic about <laughs> what what he says? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way he approaches it, I'm sure. Yes, but well, we're over an hour. Where do you want to pick up right. next time? Next time, um, let me see. Uh, we kind of got into current well, events this time, so we did. We kind of got into current events. Um, I don't. I don't know. You know what? I'll get back to you. All right. There's, there's a few things, and I and I want to see what what it can tie into this. It's a little more, a little more, uh, a little more meaty now that we've gotten into it, and I've got a bit of the footwork down. Yeah. Well, people are going to be able to. They've they've gotten a gotten a couple of sound bites out of us, and they'll be able to get you know pick up where they left off next yeah. time a lot easier. I, you know, I had a thought. I think we're going to talk about uh, about about uh, society um, and how population metrics mm-hmm. um, affect the greater politic. Oh, there you go. Sounds good. Because um, that feeds that feeds pretty well, also into uh, some relevant events that have been happening in a current situation that that. Uh, politic is very afraid of and it has to do with how many unemployed and purposeless males young males there are in society oh man yeah and i you know i i just read a story the other day that was just devastating about a a boy in texas 12 years old that uh hung himself um yeah big problem yeah because of uh not going to school and stuff and not having that interaction with with his friends so i think yeah that's a that's a really good subject to touch on all right all right well let me just stop this recording all right
Take 